I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Daisei Fu. The curse is broken. Yesterday, potentially. Uh, by curse, I could be talking about two things. The first one is, of course, the curse of the reverse retros. Uh, it's it's kind of over in that they won a game with them. Of course, it was a shootout win, so does it really count as a win? Uh, some people might have differing opinions. And on that note, there's the beyond regulation curse, or that's maybe less of a curse and more of just an incompetency, is somewhat diverted. Uh, because after their shootout win against the Canucks last night, 5-4, Montreal is now 1-9 and nine in extra time on the season. Yeah, you know, like, usually over time, it's like, it, it's maybe a bit of a fluke, you know, it's, it's not, it's a totally different brand of hockey. But when you get the 10 games in, and you won one game, and not to mention the fact that they lost two overtime games uh, just this week, you know, it's clearly not a fluke. Uh, this team needs some fixing in the overtime. They needed it with Claude Julien. They, Ducharme clearly hasn't done anything to fix it. But, you know, I guess it's somewhat of a monkey off the back, you know. They managed to survive the overtime period. And then, you know, yeah, shootout was uh, six rounds. It took them six rounds to finally freaking break the curse. And uh, for, as for the reverse retros, it seems you were uh, finally right on, on on one of your takes on the reverse retros, which is that we could eventually squeeze out one win. Um, and apparently it took a six-round shootout win. But I say it counts. And, but yeah, it's just this overtime thing. And we'll get into it because, what, they went into extra time three times. Like, how many times have they made it into overtime in a shootout this year? Like, it just feels abnormally high. Um, I think, like, around, like, a fifth of their games have gone to extra time. Um, and, I mean, oh, more than that. just the strategy, the strategy is not working out. Uh, Montreal's played 31 games this year, and 10 of them have gone into overtime. So that is approximately 30%. And yeah, they suck at it. They have the remarkable distinction of having more pity points than regulate regulation losses at this point of the year. They are something uh, eight and nine. So they are, they do have more losses than wins, but they are well over Batman 500 thanks to all those loser points. Um, so let, let's talk about the overtime stuff first. Let's get into that because... I obviously they didn't win in overtime yet. They just managed to go for five minutes without getting scored on yesterday. So that part of the the problem isn't over. But what worries me, but by the way, I am still worried about this because the problem isn't done. They showed the exact same patterns yesterday uh, that they had been showing the entire time, um, which was playing reserved, playing afraid to lose. Obviously, we talked about with three on three, especially how important possession is. And Montreal appears to take this to mean a drop pass in the neutral zone repeatedly. And if you approach an opponent, then it's the, the, the game has become far too dangerous and you must pass back to the defenseman or even your goalie, uh, as they did several times yesterday against Carey Price. And they had a couple scoring chances, but they could barely get any sustained zone time in overtime yesterday or any other game before. And the game that they lost to Vancouver on Friday in overtime, uh, I I think was the worst example of that. They had the puck for a while, uh, pass back in the neutral zone, circle back, pass back, change lines, pass back. And as soon as you enter the zone, uh, you lose the puck right away. And Vancouver storms back and immediately has uh, pressure in the offensive zone. So, uh, and part of that is a personnel thing. Everyone was dunking on Ducharme, criticizing him for starting Phil Dano and Paul Byron all the time in overtime. 
which he finally changed yesterday. Uh, but still, that was it's very questionable personnel changes and obviously very questionable strategy that's being deployed as well. You know, I think you absolutely hit hit the nail on the head when you speak playing not to lose. Because I actually, I wrote exactly the same thing and I underlined it twice in my notes. Because this is not just an overtime thing, it seems. You know, um, it just seems like the Habs as a whole, even in regulation, are kind of playing not to lose. Um, and it just gets like that much worse in overtime. Uh, the, first of all, the, in overtime, the strategy is completely egregious. You talk about personnel time-wise, Paul Byron, always on the freaking ice. And like the Phil Dano thing to start the overtime, it seems like, he wants to, he, like, Ducharme wants Dano to win the faceoff because he's the, you know, quote-unquote faceoff specialist and then to get off the ice so then you can bring on, like, I don't know, Suzuki or Kakaniemi. Uh, a strategy which seems to me to be pretty astoundingly stupid because we're talking about really small sample sizes in overtime. So, like, the margin, like, how much do you really gain from winning the faceoff? Like, when you compare Dano and Suzuki, you know, I think when it comes to percentages, faceoff percentages, it can't possibly be that large. I mean, you're not putting Jake Evans out there. Um, and and it's just that Suzuki is so much better than Deno, especially the way Deno's been playing this season. Um, it makes absolutely no sense. For some reason, he's trying to play this, or Ducharme is trying to play this big brain, big brain strategy thing where, A, you have these, these dudes on the ice who shouldn't be, and then, B, with all this nonsense neutral zone passing, you're not playing aggressive at all. It seems like half the time you're trying to make it to the shootout, uh, but they don't. And, you know, as soon as the other team touched the puck and then they have their skill guys on, you're talking about your Ehlers and hell, even your JT Miller, who somehow managed to turnstile half, like all three dudes on the team when he scored in that overtime. Um, they just seem to be playing much more aggressively. The other team does. And so, but, you know, even the fact that we make it into overtime in like a third of our games, it really seems to emphasize that point. It kind of seems to, you know, there seems to be a correlation here in terms of playing not to lose. Um, and with a team that, frankly, I think on paper is more talented than like most of the teams in this division. You shouldn't not be playing not to lose. That's a strategy in any sport to be a completely mediocre team. Uh, and it's concerning. It's concerning coaching wise, because that's really where the blame falls on. Right. Um, especially when you see look at the nonsense that they pull in overtime. So I think really this whole playing not to lose thing, I absolutely noticed it. And I think, you know, the results bear that out. Yeah, you said something about Montreal being one of the most talented teams in the Canadian division. Uh, I think they are one of the deepest, at least at forward, which we talked about a lot of times before. But even if they had the best three-on-three coach that there was, I don't think the three-on-three personnel that they have available to them is very good to begin with. Uh, obviously, they could be doing much better with what they have, but I don't think the personnel is that strong to start with. Look at, okay... Um, Toronto, obviously. If you, I have to pick uh, who's more likely to win in three-on-three, three, I'm picking Toronto. I'm definitely picking Edmonton. You throw out McDavid, Dreisaitl, and whoever else you want. Uh, good luck to their opponent. Winnipeg uh, has a lot of great forwards, uh, and they actually seem to find success with playing three of them in overtime pretty often. Um, who, am, who am I missing? Even even Vancouver, honestly. like I know Pedersen wasn't healthy, but uh, if you have like Pedersen in the lineup, they do have a lot of top-end talent, which is normally how you win with 3-on-3. Three three. You know, Pedersen, Horvat, Besser, Quinn Hughes, all these names. If you look at Montreal, um, their top-end players, their top-end forwards, don't really match up that well with any of those. And what I think is the worst part about that is the defense. We've, we've criticized Mark Bergeron's con- construction of the defense a couple times. At least I have. Uh, with, you know, these Ben Sherrod, who actually actually out for a long time, which we'll talk about in a minute. Joel Edmondson, Shea Weber, Brett Kulak. 
uh, to a lesser degree type of players and how speed isn't one of their greatest assets. And that's especially apparent, apparent in three on three overtime. And it does seem like Ducharme knows this and Jeff Petrie is the only defenseman who really plays a significant amount of time in overtime. And that's because he's the only defenseman they have who's well-suited to play a lot in overtime. And Ducharme was trying a couple times because Jeff Petrie probably shouldn't stay on for all five minutes to have a couple shifts with three forwards, which normally would be an idea that I'm open to, except the fact that, like, nothing against uh, Suzuki, Tatar, and Josh Anderson, but it's not exactly Shifley, Connor, and Wheeler. And that I think those were the three players, Suzuki, Tatar, and, and might have been Anderson, might have been someone else, were on the ice for JT Miller's winning goal on Friday night. Yeah, you know what? Uh, in overtime, I absolutely agree. Uh, you make a very good... And we've talked about it before. You know, like, the this team lacks superstars. It, like, period. Like, you could argue Jess Petrie is maybe one. Um, but in the forward core, especially, you know, we the the, the youngsters, you know, Suzuki, Kakuniemi, we don't know exactly where they're going to end up in terms of their development, but they're still developing. There's there's still like room to improve there. And yeah, uh, with a lot of these teams, you're outmatched at three on three. But I'm talking about playing to lose in regulation when you're when Winnipeg has to play two defensemen and they have like they're rotating six scrubs all for like 60 minutes. Um, and still. Team manages to play like, you know, seems like they're playing scared. Uh, and, you know, you have your occasional outbursts. You win 7-1 uh, and, and whatnot against some of these teams. And it happens like once every two weeks, it seems. Uh, and that's cool. And then you're like, oh, you know, it'd be nice if we see that every time. But, alas, it does. we don't. And, yeah, it's just like night in, night out. We we talked we touched on it last week when it seems like, you know, you're kind of expecting them to lose at this point. Maybe we're reaching that point in the season. Um it's it's kind of a similar vibe, you know? Like, it's just the team at regulation seems like they're playing scared. And maybe not rightfully so when you look at the talent on paper. And then it goes to overtime where they're playing scared again. But, you know, in that case, as you, you know, as you pointed out, probably rightfully so because, you know, there's no talent around them uh, at three on three. That really matches up with, uh, you know, the superstars on the other team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if they had, even if they were like three and seven now, instead of one and nine uh, in overtime slash shootout. What are the, those two points? would probably be a really big help. I'm going to pull up the standings right now. Well, I think actually it was Eric Engels who wrote a piece. Uh, I don't, I think this was, that was even like after they lost to the Jets. So they had only lost eight times. They're like, he was like, even if they were four and four, it would be such a big help. And actually Dale Weiss replied to it like, could have, should could have, should have, would have. And he spelled it wrong. Like should of like OF. <laughs> And I was like, uh, I'm, I'm. First of all, I don't know the the spelling. Uh, take take notes, Delvis, and also uh, the fact that that's not what Eric was saying at all. But anyway, that's a bit of a sidetrack. Uh, but yes, even if they had two extra points right now, they would be third in the division instead of fourth. Uh, they would be above Winnipeg with the same amount of games. So yeah, of course, I'm saying what everybody knows is that the fact that they lose in overtime is a problem that drops them down the standings. But like every year, it seems there's at least one team that has an outsized amount of pity points. And Montreal is well on track to become that team this year. Uh, but they're kind of two sides to the same coin when we when we talk it. You know, the idiocy of the loser point is one of them. It's you, you can look at Montreal's record. If they have a bunch of overtime losses and they make the playoffs, you can say, oh, look at all those games that they lost, but they still got points for. They don't deserve to be in the playoffs when, like, I don't know, Calgary might, might end up with, like, more wins than them. And the other side of it, 
is, wow, look at all those games that they were so close to winning but didn't. They could have been so much higher in the standings if they had won those games. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's open to interpretation, right? And I think the GMs like that. It makes their job easier. And uh, oh, of course, you know, for sure. Like you look at it right now. Technically, the Habs are fourteen and seventeen, a sub five hundred team. And uh, like you know, I think if it was just wins and losses, they'd have like a worse win win loss percentage than the Canucks, which would be disgusting. Um, and you, but you know, alas, you have all these loser points, and like I, I think they're absolutely being propped up by them. You know, I honestly, you talk about, oh, you know, we could all won these overtimes uh, and we'd be so much higher. We'd be in so much better shape. I frankly don't see it like that. Um, I look at the, you know, the way they lost uh, to the to the Jets and the Canucks. And I mean, if you look at the last, just the last four games, right, that they've played since we've had our last episode. I mean, they've had, they got six points out of eight, even though they really went 500, you know? So, uh, and it's a lot of that. It's a ton of that because they get a bunch of loser points. So, uh you know, all this, this uh, you know, maybe call me a pessimist. Uh, but the way I see it is that this team is losing a lot. Uh, and there are games in which they probably don't deserve to win. and But they get this loser point. And, like, right now, statistically speaking, they're in a pretty good spot in terms of getting that last playoff spot. Yeah, I would agree with you um, from that perspective. Because it's not as if Montreal deserved to win more of these overtime games. They suck at overtime. And so I think their ac- their record accurately reflects that. Um, one kind of different thing, though, I think what, a couple of years ago, didn't, weren't the Devils like 0-12 in the shootout or something? And everyone was freaking out about it and how like they would be much closer to the playoffs if they were, I don't know, 500 in the shootout. But that's a different story. Anyway, uh, let's talk about... Um, why don't we talk about Jeff Petrie? Because I, I wanted to shout him out. Uh, first of all, can you imagine if they hadn't signed him to his extension during the offseason, what his asking price would be right now? Uh, he, he, he Like $9 million a year on a five-year contract, something ridiculous like that for someone who maybe a Norris Trophy finalist would be in danger of losing him. And, and let's just say, if the Canadians didn't have Jeff Petrie this year, if they had like traded him with a deadline last year, which there were some, some mild rumors about, uh, they would be going nowhere. They would be close to the bottom of this division, I really think. He's been no no question their MVP, um, which I've talked a couple times, the the incredible trajectory of Jeff Petrie. He's like 33, and he's gotten progressively better every single season. He's been with Montreal since he was like 26 or 27. It feels like every aspect of the game for Montreal lives and dies by Jeff Petrie, and usually lives by him because he's been doing so great. Uh, he's great in his own end. Uh, he's an offensive weapon. I know, of course, Toffoli has those goals, but like it feels like every single game, Jeff Petrie is providing a key offensive play and a key moment of the game. And I think we need to give our, our love and appreciation for, honestly, probably one of the most underappreciated Habs of, uh, of this era that we've been a fan of. Because right now, he's playing, honestly, comparably to the way like P.K. Subban played the year he won the Norris Trophy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, MVP. No doubt about it at this point. Um, just just imagine the roster projection of this defense without Jeff Petrie. Uh, it becomes an absolute void, uh, even more so than it is right now. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, he brings everything. Uh, and he quarterbacks the, the, the power play, and he's, like, he's so much better a power play quarterback than freaking Shea Weber. And it's not even close at this point. He's far and away the best defenseman. Uh, and, yeah, most important player. And 
it, it is funny, eh? That career trajectory. Because uh, kind of a, a nobody when he got traded over from Edmonton. And yeah, hell of a contract. You know, you got you to gotta give props to Bergman for that. Uh, and again, you know, we, we roasted him for not being able to win a, to, to build a winning team. But $6.25 million for four years after this one. Seems like a pretty freaking sweet bargain because, yeah, absolutely. I mean, asking for $9 million at this point, given the season he's had. Yeah. I, I mean, some if, if, he, if the Habs say no, some team was going to give it to him, probably. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. Uh, because, because Norris Canada, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even think of Shea Weber as like the power play quarterback when he's on. He's more of just like the, the trigger man to a certain degree. I think Jonathan Drouin has been like playing the point. By the way, he's been extremely impressive ever since Dominic Ducharme uh, took the reins. He's been, like maybe even been their best forward over the past couple of weeks. So very impressive for him. But yeah, anyway, Jeff Petrie, superstar player. We love him. Um, and speaking of projections for the defense, uh, Ben Sherratt, probably out for the rest of the regular season. Uh, he had been playing on the top pair, of course. Uh, this was earlier in the week. Six to eight weeks was the report with a broken hand. It broke it in, the, in that fight with, I don't, was it Lucic? No, it was Anderson who fought Lucic. Uh, who did Ben Sherratt fight? It, it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, ben Sherratt is out for the rest of the year, pretty much. And that led to Dominic Ducharme changing up the defense pairings a little bit. Uh, Brett Kulak, who had been kind of struggling a little bit on the bottom pair with like uh, Mete and Romanov, uh, put him back with Jeff Petrie. And as it turns out, any defenseman who plays with Jeff Petrie improves substantially. And in that first game with that pairing together, they were over 60% in expected goals for. I think that was Monday night against the Jets when the Canadians won 4-2. Jeff Petrie, Brett Kulak, they dominated possession together. Meanwhile, the Alexander romanov Xavier Wallet bottom, par- bottom pairing was well under 40%, as well as the Shea Weber-Joel Edmondson pairing, uh, which was went as, about as well as I would have imagined it did. Uh, these are two similar style players um, who, who they, don't go, they don't go well together. Uh, big and slow, and their greatest asset is the ability to cross-check you in front of the net without getting a penalty. Um, and it really puts into perspective how much any perception of Joel Edmondson being not so bad. He was kind of Jeff Petrie dragging him around the ice to success. And it also kind of makes me wonder uh, whether you can kind of do uh, with Jeff Petrie, kind of uh, to a lesser extent, of course, with the lightning I've done with Victor Hedman, which is, oh yeah, just put Victor Hedman with the worst defenseman, like Dan Girardi or Yan Ruda, and it's going to be great because Victor Hedman, when he's on the ice, they always control possession no matter what. So I don't know. Even if you want to put Xavier Wallet with Jeff Petrie, it'll probably turn out fine. Yeah. I mean, you'll see Xavier Wallet's numbers magically uh, you know, grow into something wonderful. Just like, you know, ah, what's with all this? I, okay. So even just recently, I've seen a whole bunch of praise of Joel Edmondson. Like, are people not watching what this guy does? He's an absolute scrub. All right. Um... You know, maybe maybe he's a bit better than I thought he was. He's not taking too many penalties, but scored a goal. Like he's not. Yeah, he scored one goal. Good for him. And but uh, he's not. He's not very good at all. Um, but here I am, like all over the. You know, I read articles. I look at Twitter. Oh, Joel Edmonds is so good. He's got a plus minus rating of twenty six or some shit like that. Uh, and you know, look, I don't know what the like. Are you not watching? This guy's an. He's so slow and he's terrible. And you know that Weber Edmondson pairing. It really goes to show just how bad this defense is. Um, because, like, who are you going to put? Who else? What are you going to? What else are you going to do, man? 
there's really like uh if you say petrie's on the first pair and sure and you put kulak with him because you know it seems kulak is not very good without jeff petrie which you know most of the defensemen for the habs are kind of like that on the left side uh and but you know you put them together because they seem to work well together uh and then the, the remaining four you know like what the hell are you doing here especially with Sherrod out and i talked about Sherrod last week uh, and the stupidity that he's been involved with frankly all season uh and yeah i, I you know said it was stupid to get into that fight last week uh and lo and behold six to eight weeks the stupidity continues just a miserable season by ben Sherratt. and you know you could have seen this coming probably when the contract was signed too much money uh for ben Sherratt. had a great season last year not taking that away from him but i mean the regression has arrived and it has come out in a very ugly way holy crap um but you know even the like you know now you have nobody though even even if Sherratt was playing poorly but you take him out of the equation, and now there's nobody left. Um, you have Romanov, who's you know, who's had a nice season, but he, not anything particularly great yet. You know, still very much a rookie, and like like freaking Xavier Wallet, or you put on Victor Mete, who wants to get traded. You know, it's just it's a miserable band of uh, defensemen down there, and yeah, that Weber Edmonton pairing just goes to show. You know, they're they're names. Um, they're big names, so to speak, you know, Shea Weber and the free agent acquisition, but together they're just so slow, so slow might be the league's slowest second pairing. Um, and it's ugly and the numbers bear it out. Yeah. Every, I feel like every single game, uh, Habs on TSN, they flash up like Joel Edmondson leads the NHL in plus minus with a plus 25 rating, plus 26 rating, whatever it happens to be that night. And I don't think we have to explain to you, our enlightened audience, that most of that did come from playing with Jeff Petrie, but the reason it was probably higher than Petrie's is because Petrie did get put in a couple of harder situations that maybe Joel Edmondson wasn't entrusted with. Uh, but speaking of this this defense, um, I want to bring up a potential supplement that may be coming very soon. In recent third-round pick, uh, 2018, 71st overall, Jordan Harris, who has finished his season at whatever college he played at. I think it was Northeastern, if I'm remembering correctly. Let me just check that out. I want to make sure my facts are right. Uh, he hasn't been signed in Montreal yet. Yeah, Northeastern University. Uh, six goals, 13 assists for 19 points in 19 games this season. A defenseman who's a point a game in the NCAA. That's a very nice sign. Uh, and there is a decent chance that he is NHL ready, especially when you consider the fact that hmm, this defense of Montreal sure looks like it could use some supplements, whereas a stronger defense like the Carolina Hurricanes would probably be like, yeah, right, enjoy the minor leagues for a while. Uh, but I I think we're supposed to hear today whether or not he is signing or not. Uh, I'm expecting that he will. I don't think he's going to be going back to college for another year. He looks like he's kind of accomplished all there is to accomplish there, at least from a personal achievement level. And you might even know by the time you're listening to this whether Jordan Harris is signed. He may start out with the Rocket for a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dominic Ducharme says, all right, uh, we kind of need some help on the back end. Let's see what you got. And what I would do with the pairings is I would keep Kulak and Petra together because that's working quite nicely. Um, I would want to give Romanov and Weber a little bit more of a chance to see if they can work something out together because we saw early on in the year some great flashes from Romanov. Great vision, you know, he was, you know, uh, very aggressive and offensive talent. And of course, he's, he still has that potential and he still has shown some flashes, but it kind of feels like he has been, you know, playing a little bit reserved or playing not to lose for the last little stretch. 
Uh, which is weird because usually you would expect it goes uh, the other way where a rookie coming over from uh, from Europe would, you know, be kind of, you know, testing out the waters at the beginning before really coming into their own. Uh, and I think Shea Weber playing next to him for an extended period of time would kind of, you know, give him the feeling of stability, even if Shea Weber isn't as stable as he once was. I think that Romanov would kind of feel the ability to freelance a little bit more and take some more risks. And that leaves Jordan Harris next to... I'm not going to hold my breath and say they're going to take Joel Edmondson out of the lineup or anything. So that's probably what it would be. Uh, but I would, I would uh, keep Victor Mate in there because he was great. And I don't think he deserves to be healthy scratched, even with all the defensemen healthy, much less with Ben Chirot injured. I don't think he should be scratched in favor of Xavier Wallet. No, thank you. Um, those are my thoughts. And even if you want to put Jordan Harris with Shea Weber, you know, kind of, uh, I think it was kind of the same logic applies to a Romanov Weber pairing as it applied to a Jordan Harris Weber pairing. Yeah, um, the, it's just the thing with the thing is right. You take away uh, Edmonton from Weber, right? You split that up and you put you know a young guy with Shea Weber for that. You know that's stability that you like. But the problem is Joel Edmonton. You know he's a complete liability. And so who are you going to put him with? Uh, you better not put him with another youngster because that's just going to screw them up. And while we, we've talked about how, you know, Petrie Kulak seems to be working out well, but then, you know, what the hell are you going to do? Uh, Joel Emerson working with really anybody that's not Petrie or Weber uh, scares me, scares me greatly. And I, if that were to happen, I do suspect that that plus 26 would uh, rapidly dwindle down um, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, that's that's the one part of this, uh, this whole defensive restructuring, all this, um, is that I am very concerned. I think Ducharme is keying in this in on this as well is that you know Joel Edmondson is not exactly to be trusted and to put him with anybody but you know more quote-unquote stable guys as we as you like to say uh just seems like an extremely terrifying proposition for this team at five on five what makes you think what makes you think Ducharme is keying in on that because I'm not getting that energy at all uh I mean I hope you're right uh Uh, but like even even Edmondson with Weber still scares me uh, so actually, you know, now that I think of it, maybe just put Edmonton and Petrie back together, uh, because Petrie elevates Edmonton, their worst defenseman, uh, and they, I think, have like a positive shot share when they're on the ice because of Jeff Petrie, and then you can kind of trust the other pairings a little bit more when Joel Edmonton isn't on them also. Yeah, so I guess we really are just doing that headman thing, where you just put on your biggest scrub on defenseman, and you pair them up together. And I guess it's not really Xavier yeah. Willett. In the end, it's actually just Joel Edmondson because, uh, unlike Willett, Edmondson is stuck in the stuck with ice time apparently because of his contract. Yeah. Oh well. Or you know, here's another option. Uh, we could. There, there's always the option to trade for Matthias Ekholm. Um, that's that's not off the table. Uh, <laughs> if we're gonna segue over to that, uh, the big trade ship of the deadline who's probably going to be headed to either Boston or Winnipeg, but Montreal is apparently still somewhat in the mix. So let, let's look, let's talk about this. Let's theorize a little bit. Trade deadlines on April 12th. Matthias Ekholm, of course, would be a great immediate fit with Montreal and their needs. And the asking price is apparently a first round pick and two prospects, uh, which is a very hefty price, especially since Montreal's first round pick probably won't be in the late 20s. It's probably going to be uh, early 20s, late teens, more or less, uh, kind of off the top of my head. And if, if Nashville wants the first round pick in this year's draft, 
Uh, honestly, they can have it. This is a very weak draft, one of the weakest in a long time, and not just because a bunch of the players haven't played all year. This has kind of been what people have been thinking was going to happen at the 2021 draft for a long time. So I'm not too attached to this year's first round pick in a Matias Ekholm trade, but the interesting part to me is two prospects, because that can a prospect. There's a very wide range of the definition of prospect. Cole Caulfield is a prospect. He's not getting traded for Matias Ekholm. Uh, you know who else is a prospect? Recent seventh round pick, Kieran Roshansky. All right, they aren't exactly the same level here. I think, uh, I think what Nashville had said they were interested in was something comparable to what the LA Kings got for Jake Muzzin. Uh, whenever that trade was, I think about two years ago at this point. Um, and you know what? I think that that is a very fair ask uh, because you'll, if you recall, the Maple Leafs gave up a first round pick, uh, and the two prospects were. Sean Dursey and Carl Grundstrom, uh, not exactly A-listers. They were both recent second-round picks at the time. Uh, Carl Grundstrom kind of looks like he's going to be topping out as like uh, a good fourth liner. Sean Dursey has not really hit his stride in the American Hockey League, so neither one of those prospects has maybe panned out quite as well as the Kings would have hoped for. Uh, but if we're comparing uh, what they were like at the time they were dealt, then I think there's a chance, uh, hmm, if I look through, yeah, why don't you, if you have any thoughts on this while I look through what prospects might be a, a nice return for Eckholm. Um, well, like, if you look at the other teams that, uh, Eckholm could potentially go to, I mean, yeah, logical fits, right? Winnipeg, Boston, uh, and I mean, Winnipeg, I keep ragging on their black hole of a defense. And, uh, you know, this would certainly short up. You know, he's really, like Nashville, that Roman Yossi injury where he's out week to week, that's really kind of benefited at home. It's really boosted his value because he's the main guy on the power play now, and he's really, he's balled out, um, so to speak. And so, yeah, I think his value is getting boosted, you know, first. And I think he probably gets more than Jake Muzzin, honestly, because um, he's really the guy on the defenseman market with this trade deadline. And so, you know, I think... Like, you you look at the, the value that they got, you know, the Jersey-level prospect, the Grunstrom-level prospect. You know, I think I think they get the first uh, from this this draft, and then I think they get someone, uh, maybe like an A-minus prospect. Uh, I don't really have any names off the top of my head who kind of fit that billing, but uh, I think better than the prospects that the, the Kings got from the Leafs. Um, even, not even considering, you know, the, develop, the development chart, uh, path that they've taken since. So, uh... Yeah, and he, uh, and and I heard Toronto was another name that uh, that was kind of in the mix. I don't think that's happening. I mean, I've heard uh, Dubas said that he's looking at upgrading the forward core more than anything, and so you know, I don't, I don't think it really makes sense for uh, the Leafs to get Ekholm. Like it doesn't, like the power play fit isn't totally there either. Uh, and yeah, they've already it feels like you know, obviously the defenseman can all their decor can use an upgrade. But I don't think Ekholm is the upgrade that they need, considering the price. Yeah, I actually I thought the Leafs would be a great fit for Ekholm. But let's let's go back to the Habs for a second about this. Uh, do you think Nashville is a fan of Luke Tuck, a recent second round pick in the twenty twenty draft, a pick we weren't such a big fan of? They picked him actually one pick before they took Yan Mishak, who I uh, would not really like to give up. Uh, so if we're talking like I don't know. Trying to figure out a deal I'd be comfortable with that kind of might meet Nashville's criteria. The 2021 first rounder, plus Luke Tuck, plus another prospect. Like, I don't know if they got the forward Luke Tuck. Uh, that's kind of a Carl Grundstrom comparable. They want the Sean Dursey comparable. How about, like, uh, 
Gianni Fairbrother, who they recently signed to an ELC. I no, that's probably that's probably me being a, a little bit too optimistic because uh, I don't think that's enough yeah. to get it done. Uh, maybe Matthias Norlander. They might need to pony up Matthias Norlander uh, if they wanted to get Ekholm. Um, even though you know he's kind of tearing it up in Sweden, and I've been looking forward to him coming over for a while now. But you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm also undervaluing uh, how GMs perceive Luke Tuck. Because didn't Montreal get an offer to move down um, at that pick? And they're like, no, we're taking Luke Tuck. And then they found out afterward that the team that traded up was going to take Luke Tuck. So maybe everyone just loves Luke Tuck. Maybe Nashville's one of those teams also. And they're like, Luke Tuck, yes, a godsend. Send him our way. Uh, and we'll throw in $5 million along with it. Um, so, yeah, maybe everyone loves Luke Tuck. And maybe that'll get it done. Yeah. I mean, that's that's awfully optimistic. Uh, if <laughs> if it's... Yeah, but, like... Yeah. Um, and like, does it make sense to make this trade for Montreal? Uh, like, okay. So yes, the defense needs an upgrade. Um, but at the cost of what though? Like, do we think they're going to be competing this year or next year with, you know, the last year of Ekholm's contract? I don't know. I don't know if I'd make the trade. I don't know if I really want to make the trade. I mean, if I'm giving up a name like Norlander, who I understand he's a prospect, unproven and all that, but we could be looking at a solid defenseman for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years down the road. Um, like I, it, it's like Matthias Ekholm. Like how old is he? Like 30? I'm going to look that up. Oh, uh, no, not that old. I don't um, think. No, late twenties. Okay. Yeah. He's 30. He's 30. Oh, he's he is 30, 30 right now. Um, he is 30. So like, do I want to make that exchange? Frankly, I don't know if I do. I think Bergevay wants to, because you know, North division and all that. But you look at the odds of winning a cup, of going making a nice deep run. I don't like him, and I don't like him with Nor- uh, with with Ekholm on this team. And uh, so, but you know, it's Bergevin. Who knows what, he, what the hell he's gonna do if he's gonna buy, or if he's gonna stand put. But you know, like long term wise, I don't I don't know. Stay put. Sorry. Um, <laughs> or yeah, stand. Uh, long term wise, I don't know if it makes sense. Both. Is he gonna stand put? Anyway. Uh, I think if I had to guess, Boston is probably the destination um, because not only do they ha- kind of have a gaping hole on left defense, similar to Montreal, the difference is Boston actually does have a much better shot at the Stanley Cup. Um, they don't have that many great prospects to give up. I think John Beecher would probably have to be, be involved because they don't have much else that's too appealing in the prospect pool. But I think, honestly, if I were Kyle Dubas with Toronto, um, I would not be too focused on upgrading my forward group, I would be targeting Ekholm for sure. Uh, because as you want to kind of try to model, like, people were talking, oh, but they already have Riley and Muzzin on the left side, so Ekholm is going to be on the third pair. Yeah, isn't that great? If you have, can have those three defensemen each on the separate pair. Look at Tampa Bay last year. They had Hadman, Sergachev, and McDonough all playing on separate pairs, which means at least one of them is on the ice at all times. It's kind of a nice recipe for success. I'd much rather have Matthias Ekholm one of Ekholm, Muzzin, or Morgan Riley on the ice at all times, then have to have Travis Dermott and Zach Bogosian out there for how 16 minutes a game or whatever it is. Um, and Toronto also has a very nice prospect pool. Uh, they've had a lot of picks in recent years. You know, uh, they m- probably wouldn't give up Robertson or Sandine or Amirov, but someone like Liljegren is expendable. Uh, in my opinion, uh, for someone like Ekholm, or even if you want to package like, you know, Ronnie Irvinen, 
Topi Nimala, who just won Defenseman of the Year at the World Juniors. Uh, Vidim Yetnin, who I think was, is like a Holby Baker finalist, with like a sixth-round pick. They have a lot of very appealing prospects outside of just, you know, their top guns. And couple that with the fact that they're definitely a win-now team at this point. I think going for, after Ekholm for them would make a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, you make a very good point with that. Uh, and, you know, stack the left side. Why the hell not? Dermot's been very disappointing for them. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you can make the upgrade, absolutely. And I've talked about the Leafs. Uh, this is the year you go all in. Why the hell not? You, know, you have nobody in the division that can really compete with you, you know, notwithstanding the fact that they've lost, like, what, six of the last seven or six of the last eight. Um, you know, we'll just ignore that and we'll consider. I'll, I think it's the blip. Um, and I think it's also Frederick Anderson. Was, Frederick Anderson was playing hurt. Um, but yeah, I think absolutely you go in. The forward court maybe is still a touch concerning, I would say. Like Alex Galchenyuk was playing on the second line yes, last night. And I understand, you know, it's some lineup shot playing, whatever the hell you want to call it. You did get an assist. But, uh, you know, kind of a red flag. Maybe a bit of one. So, you know, but if the if the price is there. And first of all, like, why do they get the draft so well? That's completely unfair. Um, it's egregious that they have all those names. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if, if, if the opportunity is there for the Leafs, if you, have an, if you can get a guy like Ekholm, yeah, you've turned me around on it. Why the hell not? Right? You're going for the cup? Let's do it. Pile to the metal. Mm-hmm. Bonus stick on Toronto for a while and their goaltending stuff. It looks like they've kind of got a new starter now, uh, Jack Campbell. Um, and, you know, we kind of made fun because Frederick Anderson, obviously, he had, had several great years in a row for the Maple Leafs and was really instrumental in their rise out of the basement, uh, 2016, 2017, uh, all those times. But now over the past, like, season and a half, it just hasn't really been there. Uh, and some people are speculating because uh, a lot of the uh, 1920 season, Michael Hutchinson was the number two. And obviously, Michael Hutchinson isn't a very good number two. So they wanted to play him as little as possible. And some people are thinking maybe Frederick Anderson's just, you know, he's he's getting work too much. And that's why he's kind of, his numbers are faltering. And so Kyle Tupis goes out, acquires Jack Campbell from the LA Kings, a great backup. Uh, he plays great as a backup. And all of a sudden, so many Leaf fans were like, anoint him the new starter immediately, please. And a lot of people kind of made fun of them for that. Like, yeah, okay, sure. Jack Campbell plays a couple games, and he has, you know, a really nice save percentage. And all of a sudden, you want to hand the reins over to him. Uh, but maybe their hunch was right. Because Frederick Anderson has been stinky poo-poo for pretty much this entire ha. season. And Jack Campbell has now two shutouts in a row. Uh, they were a couple weeks apart, I think, because he was injured. But two shutouts in a row. You know how Frederick Anderson's uh, play has just gotten worse and worse increasingly over the past couple weeks. And honestly, Jack Campbell is probably the number one. And it seems like Leaf fans have pretty much lost total confidence that they can go anywhere in the playoffs with Frederick Anderson as the number one. Okay. First of all, let's let's pump the brakes. First of all, like, to all those Leafs fans, or well, not all those Leafs fans, but like, if you talk about like Frederick Anderson getting overworked that last year, well, it's not to say he's not getting overworked this year either. Uh, I mean, Jack Campbell had a nice little start, three games, absolutely fantastic. But then he got hurt for like all the way until like yesterday, right? How long was he out? It wasn't like a couple weeks. It was like a month and a half. Um, so, and then he, like Michael Hutchison has been the backup for like a very long while now. Uh, and so, you know, Frederick Anderson has played the majority of the games and apparently he's been injured. He's on the, uh, like he's, he's injured with a lower body injury. Apparently it's been nagging him for a while now. Uh, I think he was injured for like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Hutchinson was playing a handful of games earlier in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
I don't think he's fully healed since then. But yeah, look at his numbers year wide. Like, uh, you know, you talk about you can have also you can use the injury excuse, you can use the overplaying excuse, but he's been bad. Uh, his save percentage is sub 900 at this point. And yeah, I mean, look, I don't think it's uh, let's give the reins over to Jack Campbell, no questions asked right now. Um, but, you know, I think he's giving him, he's got a shot right now with Anderson out. Uh, it's certainly nice for the Leafs. Uh, because I think this time around, since it seems to be some sort of reaggravation with uh, Anderson, that they can give him that time because it seems Campbell can be trusted. Um, so that's that. But I think just for this season, we probably see more of a tandem share. I think I think there is reason to see to say that Anderson has been overworked. I mean, he's had Michael Hutchinson as his backup for most of the year. Uh, but I mean, you look at Jack Campbell's play; the numbers speak for themselves. It's, he's he's undefeated, uh, even though he's only played four games. So, uh, but yeah, moving yeah. forward is where it really looks interesting, right? Yeah, I just get such a strong feeling right now from that team that Jack Campbell is is the new number one. I feel like, I don't know, kind of not saying Toronto's going to win the Stanley Cup, but it feels somewhat like the Jordan Bennington situation where it's like, oh yeah, he's, he's playing and he's great, so we're not going to take him out of the net. Or like, you know, we've seen a lot of situations like like when Matt Murray rose up out of the minors, even though Jack Campbell wasn't in the minor, minors, or Andrew Hammond, or when Philip Grubauer took over for Braden Holpe. Like, we see this kind of thing a lot around the league where the backup starts just playing better than the starter and then becomes the starter. And it feels like that is, that's kind of been inevitable for like maybe the last week and a half. And I think with Jack Campbell's shutout yesterday kind of, you know, ties it up in a little bow. And especially, you know, Frederick Anderson now, I think, is day-to-day with something. So Jack Campbell's going to really get to prove himself over this, I don't know, next week or so. And if he keeps playing great, and if he keeps winning, I don't think the team is going to look back. Okay. All right. I disagree. I think Anderson, I think he's been injured for the last two weeks. That's what I think it is. And I think that explains why he's this play has really taken a nosedive. Um, I think he'll get an opportunity later this season to, uh, when, he, when he gets fully healthy, um, I think we'll get an opportunity to, you know, play some games, maybe win the quiz back. But I mean, yeah, credit to Jack Campbell. Uh, he's been phenomenal. So if I'm the Leafs, I'm handing the standing, uh, the, you know, the starters, the starting reins for now while Anderson is injured. Uh, let him play a bunch of games. See if it can, you know, this is really uh, a test run for future seasons, which I was about to get to um, because that's where it gets really interesting, right? Uh, Campbell has one more year left. Super freaking cheap. One. million, uh, and Anderson's a free agent, right? And so, you know, looking to the, looking next year and beyond for the Leafs, I mean, obviously they're very cap strapped. Anderson is a cap hit of 5 million this year. Probably looking for an, like, uh, at least some sort, at least to maintain that level of, uh, salary in his next contract. And he's going to have a bunch of suitors as he hits the open market, uh, presumably. So, you know, if Campbell holds up, and he shows he, he can keep up this level of play throughout the rest of the season. I mean, the Leafs might have a, might have found themselves a very nice goaltending situation for potentially very cheap. Cap one. Yep, that is definitely possible. Um, do you want to talk about the Sabers? Ralph Kruger, finally fired. Um, they were in a twelve-game losing Sabre streak. Segment. Yeah, <laughs> weekly Sabers suck segment. Uh, so we've kind of been sitting here been thinking, how much is it going to take for them to let go of Ralph Kruger? And 12, as it turns out, was the magic number. And I actually think, I actually think it wasn't that 12 was the magic number. I think because they had been playing, 
uh, teams that were decisively much better than them, which isn't a good sign to begin with. But they were like, let's wait till our game against the Devils, who also suck pretty bad. And if they beat us, then we know there's no hope. And that's what happened. The Devils beat them like three to two or something. And they're like, all right, number 12, you're out of here, Ralph Krueger. And of course, there's the whole um, situation with Buffalo and the Pagulas uh, really not wanting to pay anyone more than they have to. And they're obviously going to have to pay Ralph Krueger for the rest of uh, at least this year. I'm not sure what his contract details were like, as well as uh, any additional staff they bring in, which I'm not sure if they like, did they call up a, an assistant coach? I don't know what they did, but they were like, no, please don't make us fire you, Ralph. But in the end, uh, he pretty much left them no choice, losing 12 games in a row. Are you kidding? And now um, that drought is up to 13 after losing to the Bruins with their new interim coach, Don Granado, behind the bench. And now I think their game uh, uh, yesterday against Boston was postponed because of COVID protocol or something. But things are looking pretty bleak for the Sabres, who not only have lost 13 games in a row, uh, they have a general manager and no assistant general managers. They have no scouting staff at all. And here's a fun fact. I I was listening to Staff and Graph the other day, and Rachel Dory, who... Uh, used to work for the Devils and so, you know, has uh, friends in the scouting community. I said, apparently, some of her friends were offered to do video scouting for the Sabres for the equivalent of $100 a month, which is yikes, absolutely bananas. Are you kidding me? You have no scouts. What are you going to do at the NHL draft? How do you even make a trade? And your solution is to pay these people, like, what, $1,200 a year? Uh, the or the equivalent of that to do video scouting for you're an NHL team. Get your act together. Yeah. So uh, clearly this is just a new level of bush league from the Sabers. Uh, starting off with the coaching. Um, well, yeah, you said it. It was inevitable. You lose twelve games in a row. I mean, there's no excusing it. Well, you know, like he was he was gone. No matter how much the Pagulas wanted him to, uh, you know ride out the rest of the season so they could save a bit of cash. Um, but, you know, look, the Sabres are fucking awful. Uh, and, you know, Taylor Hall, just an incredible decision that ages better and better with each passing day uh, going to the Sabres. Um, and, yeah, just truly astounding. Just, you look like, hockey-wise, I mean, six wins in 29 games. Just, it's a work of art. And the roster stinks. It's not getting any better. Uh, and, you know, management-wise, yeah, this franchise clearly is an absolute freaking train wreck, which is interesting. You know, I saw it. You just I saw a YouTube video contrasting uh, the Sabers and the Buffalo Bills, who, you know, they're owned by they're both owned by the Pagulas, but the Buffalo Bills have seen some recent success. And th- that video by uh, I think it was Urinating Tree um, was the name of the channel. They pointed out that uh, ownership meddling seems to be the the root cause of what's happening here uh, with the Sabers. And yeah. I, I think I kind of agree here because, uh, man, like really, they're really that that I didn't hear that story before with the the scouting and the the hundred dollars per month or whatnot. And uh, yikes, man, that's <laughs> that's terrible. And you're right, it is an NHL team, and this is uh, this is some ECHL shit right here. Yeah, um, you know, I. I want to point out that Buffalo is missing their third and fifth round pick for this upcoming draft. Uh, the third round pick from when they traded to the New York Rangers for Jimmy VC uh, in 2019. 
and the fifth round pick from last year's trade deadline when they traded it to the uh, New Jersey Devils for Wayne Simmons. So remember that big rental decision. Uh, and um, oh, they're actually, I was going to say they're both on the Leafs now, but they're not because Jimmy Vesey was just claimed by the Canucks on waivers. Uh, but they do have uh, Colorado's sixth round pick from a trade they made was it yesterday, the day before, where they traded uh, their current backup. Well, not there had been backup goalie, thanks to Alina Selmark injury, Jonas Johansson. Who was sporting something of an 850 save percentage or something in that zone uh, to the Colorado Avalanche for that sixth round pick. And now help is on the way because Justin Tokarski, former Montreal Canadian legend, has been called up on emergency loan uh, from the minors. Uh, Carter Hutton is so bad that honestly, they it might be smart to just hand Dustin Tokarski the starting reins immediately. Uh, and his numbers in the AHL this season, actually, he's only played two games, but it's an impressive 932 in two games. Uh, and it looks like, honestly, over the past couple years in the AHL, uh, he's done a not-too-bad job at all, indeed. So who, here comes uh, the Dustin, Dustin Tokarski uh, resurgence, comeback story. Uh, just you wait. It's coming. Yeah, you made that Jack Campbell-Jordan Bennington comparison. You know, who knows? Maybe Dustin Tokarski is the new Jordan Bennington. Uh, you can never totally rule it out. Uh, if you can lose 13 in a row, you can absolutely win 13 in a row. Especially if you've got 930 goalie, Dustin Tokarski on your side. Um, yeah, that's fun to see in your name. And uh, Colorado, holy crap, are they desperate for uh, goalie depth. I think I saw that. Like, they've won 18 games so far. Grubauer's won 17 of them this season. Um, and, you know, Frank Francouz has been out for, for a long time now. And they've just, it's just been a rotating cast of scrubs. Uh, I think the latest Miska, name was Adam Hunter Werner. Miska. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, Wow, they're really, uh, they're really like, what, what's the grasping the straws here, trading for the freaking Sabers backup? But uh, it is what it is, and uh, yeah, Jonas Johansson, who knows, Stanley Cup champion by the end of the season, maybe. Potentially, you know who I really feel bad for and all the Saber stuff is Rasmus Dahlin, because he was supposed to be the next Eric Carlson, and now it's only been like two and a half years since he was drafted, and he just looks totally lost, uh, like he has no idea what's going on. Um, and he sucks. And I mean, it's not uh, weird when you compare it to all the other Sabres defensemen because they all suck too, or at least they're playing like it. Uh, but man, there was so much promise for that player. And I, I'm there still is hope. Uh, but if he had been drafted by pretty much any other NHL team, I think there's a good chance he would be one of the best defensemen in the NHL right now. He'd definitely be in that uh, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, Miro Haskinen uh, level of player. Um, and he just isn't. He just isn't. Andrei Sveshnikov went one pick later. Is looking like the like he's worked out much better for Carolina. And I mean, and I don't think Dalin is to blame for that. I think the team is to blame for that. And how poorly they've gone about developing pretty much everyone, uh, pretty much all their draft picks. Much less defensemen who are notoriously harder to develop for a number of reasons. But Rasmus Dalin just uh, doesn't look like it's working. Yeah, I saw a lot of people talking about it on Twitter. I think it was. In particular, in rea- as a reaction to, I think it was the TGA Oshi goal. Uh, like, uh, oh, yeah, he just he, went like, through everybody. Exactly. Like, the entire Sabres team on his way to scoring a goal, including Rasmus Dahlin, and, like, nobody looked engaged at all. They just kind of, like, waved their sticks half-heartedly in the way, and then, like, Oshi just kind of, like, navigated his way to the net, and then he promptly scored. Um, but, yeah, you could absolutely, like, it's just, this guy seemed like to be, yeah, the next Eric Carlson. Like a, a canvas prospect, this was not. This didn't seem to be any sort of debate who was going to be the first overall pick that year. 
And uh, yeah, the Phantom in particular, as you, you know, like apparently they're very susceptible to, uh, they're very, they're very much influenced by the development atmosphere around them. And to say the Sabres development atmosphere has been bad is a criminal understatement because uh, yeah, he's just surrounded by garbage um, on the ice. Now, um, so yeah, is this to be like, it sucks. It sucks because there was so much promise in this guy. Uh, and now it seems like uh, he's heading toward bus territory, probably through no fault of his own, uh, just because the team around him sucks so bad. And uh, yeah, to say they've watched development is an understatement because what the hell have they done for him? There has been no development. Um, they've surrounded him with bad players throughout his time. And like, what did you expect? Uh, like, you could not possibly have just hoped and prayed on the marginal chance that he would able be able to, uh, you know, what to to elevate everybody around him, and despite like at at like eighteen years old. Um, so yeah, like, is this a huge surprise? Like, you look at what was what's going on in Buffalo. Probably not, um, because everything that they possibly could have done wrong in terms of development, they did because everybody sucked around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going. Don Don Granado is uh already Rasmus Dallin's third coach. Phil Housley, Ralph Kruger, now Don Granado. Uh, looking back to uh Eichel, yeah, this is Eichel's fourth coach now because there was Dan Bilesma before Phil Housley. Since the Pagulas took over in um twenty eleven, they they had Lindy Ruff who they inherited. They fired him at I think the end of the twelve thirteen season. I have it in front of me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's Lindy Ruff, Ron Rolston, Ted Nolan, Dan Bilesma, Phil Housley, Ralph Kruger, Don Granado. That's the seventh coach in ten years for the Buffalo Sabres. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, and speaking of Jack Eichel's team, uh, we can segue over to Jack Eichel's future team, uh, who won nine nothing earlier this week. <laughs> uh, the New York Rangers, with all their coaches on COVID protocol, called up their Hartford Wolfpack coaching staff and immediate nine nothing win. Uh, Mika Zibanejad tied the record for most points in a period. With, he had six points in the second period where the Rangers scored seven goals. It was 9 nothing after two, and they took the their foot off the brake or or whatever, foot off the gas, foot on the brake. Don't worry, I'm a great driver. Uh, and um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so and a lot of people were kind of citing this game as evidence that uh, coaching is uh, obsolete and doesn't have much of an impact. And I mean... Okay, similar vibes to in the bubble when Montreal, uh, when Claude Julien had that health scare and so Kirk Muller had to take over and they had they dominated. I think that was like game two of the series against the Flyers. It was like a 5-1 win or something. And I really think this is just an instance where like, you know, you have your coach who, yeah, he's my coach and you get kind of tired of him. Um, and if they're just absent for one game, it's more like, all right, everyone. Uh, yeah. So it's not like I'm your new coach. It's kind of like a substitute teacher, you know? And, and yeah, I guess that's the vibe. Yeah. Where, uh, huh. but it's, it's not like, I guess it's kind of not the same because they're professional athletes who are like, Oh yeah, I guess now that the coach isn't here to, to set us all straight, we kind of have to take accountability ourselves, uh, and, and, and win or whatever. Whereas with a substitute teacher, it's more like, hey, we can all goof off because Mr. Smith isn't here or whatever. Uh, so it is a little bit different in that sense. I don't think it's the fact that coaching is, you know, not necessary or anything like that. But I, it got me to thinking, like, what if 
a team, it would probably have to be a very rich team, like the Maple Leafs or the Canadians, tried out this thing where you have a rotating cast of like six coaches who like just rotate like, hey, I'm the head coach tonight. Oh, I'm the head coach the next game. And I wonder what kind of effect that would have on the players and like keeping things fresh. Okay. First of all, I think that's a, that's, that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> just right off the bat. Um, like I think, I think this, this, uh, substitute teacher vibe is, uh, is a very temporary thing. You know, it's a flash in the pan kind of thing. Uh, and you see it here and there, but, uh, like to have it, see, that's the thing. If you have six coaches rotating, does it even become fresh anymore? Is it even fresh after like the second rotation? You know, it's not very exciting. Now you just, you're just kind of used to having your coaches change. And that's no fun at all either. And at that point, you know, like tactically it becomes confusing. The players don't know what the coach wants in particular. And they got to change their, their play style every so often, you know, like tactically that doesn't make much sense. But even like, you know, oh, uh, the, the voice in the room is getting old. That aspect, if the coach keeps changing, well, the, the changing voice, I think would also get old. So uh, I think that idea, frankly, is not very good. But uh, hey, it'd be kind of fun to watch. Um, and as for the, the Rangers thing, I mean, maybe David Quinn's just a bad coach. Um, that's something we could put out there. I've heard, I haven't heard the, the best things about him, uh, as the coach of the Rangers. They haven't had a good season at all this season. And I mean, maybe that's that. I think it, maybe it's just a combination of it because, uh, you take, I don't know, uh, some other dude away from, uh, a different team with a great coach. You take, you take Barry Trotz away from the Islanders and you put in some other scrub. Maybe they don't do so well, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's that on the coaches. Now that you pointed out how terrible my idea was, uh, I have, I've refined it slightly. Uh, what if once a year, every coach gets five games of paid vacation and it kind (laughs) of, you know, it freshens up the players like, Oh, coach is gone, but he's not fired. And then the coach comes back and is like, all right, everyone's on a five game winning streak. Now let me hop right into things. Um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think it's the regularity that kind of ruins it. You know, if I know that my coach is getting five, five games off at any point in the season, A, I'd be jealous, but B, I don't know if it sparked the same, you know, substitute teacher excitement. Um, but you don't you know, know when I could it's be coming. Wrong. Oh, you don't. Oh, just, okay. So now we're just, yeah, it's random one day in the middle of the season, maybe probably on like when you're on a little bit of a slump, the GM goes, all right, here's your five games off. And the team goes, well, time to wake up. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And, you know, the GM always has the option to make it a permanent vacation. Um, if, you know, if the coach knows that the other guy is particularly good. But, uh, ah, it's like, look, okay. Um, this, this, this idea is, uh, like, it's, I think, I, I don't know. I think the regularity just, uh, it's not the same. Even if you don't know okay. when it's coming. Um, uh, I think it's the flash of the pan thing. Oh, look, out of nowhere. Uh, you know, this, you get, the coaches have COVID maybe, uh, let's, let's go out there and do whatever the hell we want. Let's give Mika's advantage at six points. I think it's just not the same. And if you put the regularity in there, you put, okay, we're going to have, okay. I got to expect that my coach is going to be out at some point in the season for five games. I don't think it has the same spice. I don't think it has the same spunk. I don't think it has the same nine, nothing to it. Okay. Uh, let's touch briefly on Gord Miller. As we move things along here, uh, he received received praise from several uh, angles of the hockey world for kind of 
not putting Barstool on blast. I don't think that's the right way to put it. Basically, he was taking questions from fans, and one of them said, would you ever go and spit in chiclets? And he said, I like those two guys who host it, Paul Bissonnette and uh, Ryan Whitney, but anything to do with Barstool is a no-go for me. And everyone was like, way to go, Gord Miller, calling out Barstool, a uh, toxic and misogynistic company, amongst several other problems. And uh, then he went on to explain in, um, in very you know eloquent detail why he is against Barstool. And Ryan Whitney uh, tweeted, I think it was Twitter, or made a video of him being like, I don't care what Gordon Miller says. I'm having a great time at Disneyland with my family. And it was obviously, you know, very funny that he would go out of his way to tell everyone how little he cares what Gordon Miller thinks while he was like on a vacation or whatever. Which, by the way, don't be at Disneyland uh, during COVID-19, please. You can wait. Uh, Disney doesn't need your money. Um, but I, don't, I obviously Gordon Miller saying this, doing this, being like uh, one of the first, you know, uh, mainstream hockey people to explicitly say, I don't, I'm against Barstool and here's why. That's a very positive impact. Um, and we can we can be happy for that. Uh, but I feel like on, a, on another level, like it feels like a lot of praising Gordon Miller for doing what should be the bare minimum. Do you kind of get what I mean? Like how it kind of feels, everyone was like, yeah, let's have a party because one person spoke out against Barstool. And I think I think Ian Mendes uh, supported him too and a couple other people, none of them quite as, you know, prominent uh, a person in the hockey community as Gordon Miller. But it felt so, I don't know, kind of like, uh, really? Like he just strings together a couple tweets on how Barstool sucks and all of a sudden we're throwing a parade. I don't know if that's kind of just uh, me being a negative or pessimistic, but I couldn't really shake that feeling that everyone's like, way to go, Gord, way to go, Gord. And doing that thing that people don't like where it's like, oh yeah, a white man uh, speaks out against, uh, you know, misogyny or any kind of discrimination. And all of a sudden they're the focus and they're the hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm left with that bad taste too, because a, you know, it wasn't partic it wasn't anything particularly, uh, you know, radical that he said. And I was just like, okay. Uh, and it seems like, okay, the problem here, you know what the problem is? The problem is that the bar here with the hockey community uh, and all these people in the media is the floor, okay? It's it's the floor because, and particular with this, you know, the Spin Chicklets podcast and bar school, it seems like the, like, it feels like the entire hockey world has embraced them. Um, you know, they get whoever the hell they want on their podcast. Um, and, you know, you go on the podcast, you're basically endorsing them. That's, that's what it is, right? Uh, by putting your name on it and everything. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think that's what it is because it's just the bar is so freaking low because everybody loves barstool, everybody loves spitting chiclets. Um, so you know it comes as a surprise to people when you know Gord Miller is a prominent figure uh, when a guy like him says, "I will not go on barstool." Um, should is the uh, praise outsized? I would agree. Yes, it is, but. Uh, you know, it doesn't come as a, such a huge surprise to me that the praise is so outsized because uh, nobody else is fucking doing this. That's the problem, right? Well, nobody like, you know, in that kind of position of power, uh, you know, white man that he is up there with, you know, big, uh, you know, with a relatively big following because he's on TSN, he's on NBC. Uh, and yeah, so I, I am left with that icky taste in my, in my mouth as well because uh, the hockey world freaking needs to readjust its... Uh, expectations when it comes to yeah. its attitude around Barstool. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I also it's totally separate thing. I wanna for some reason, so this morning when I saw the LA King sign Matt Roy to a three year extension, three point one five million dollars a year, I thought it was really funny. And I don't know why. I was just like, that's kinda hilarious. Like, because every now and then we see this player who pretty much no one has heard of, some average at best defenseman who signs a contract uh worth probably too much money and it's the most basic name you could possibly imagine. Matt Roy just signed a three-year contract. And I just, I, I chuckled a little bit. So, uh, you know, I guess good for you, Matt, getting that money. All right. Shout out to Matt Roy. Excellent name. Uh, just a solid seven letters. Um, okay. Uh, wait, I'm going to, I need to take a bathroom break. Oh, okay. I, I will I- edit out this bathroom right. break. Um, before we move on to our game of guess who uh we want to acknowledge the white supremacist who murdered i believe it was eight people in atlanta um and of course the reaction from media the reaction from police has been extremely underwhelming um i'll say a piece first before i let taisei take it away well obviously so anti-asian hate crimes have gone up drastically over the past year, approximately. And it's no secret why, all right? And so that's why it irks me so much when we see something like this happen and so much of the coverage on it, and not just from, like, right-wing platforms, not just from, like, Republican or conservative platforms, but from liberal platforms, too, um, looks at it like an isolated incident where everyone goes, how could this have happened? Why would this person have done this? Uh, when these same platforms spend so much time fear-mongering about China, uh, there was a recent poll that showed like 45% of Americans see China as like the primary threat to America. And they don't make that up themselves. That's because, you know, the, you turn on the news, you turn on, I don't know, Fox or even CNN to a certain degree, and it's like, oh yeah, um, China... The, the Chinese Communist Party is taking freedoms away and they're tracking you. And then everyone, you know, they repeat that over and over again. And people get it into their heads. Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, anyone who looks like they might be Chinese is probably a threat to my safety. And I know there was a lot more to it than just that and this isolated incident. But that's what really frustrates me about this is these all the coverage of it and media looking around saying, wow, why would this person have possibly done this when they're spewing hatred that fuels racists all the time? Yeah, it's because they don't feel like they need to make that distinction, right? That distinction is not clear uh, when it comes to the media uh, between, you know, Asians and, you know, Asian Americans or Asian Canadians. Um, Because, you know, I've seen like polls where, or like, you know, the the stupidity that kind of went around earlier in the pandemic was when like, uh, oh, do you like, where people think, where people legitimately believe that, you know, Asian Americans inherit or Asian Canadians inherently have the virus uh, and that they, you know, so we should be scared of them. And, you know, that's, yeah, as you said, it's not an isolated thing. It's not uh, a thing by chance. It's because the media uh, and yeah, as you said, it's a lot, it's like much of the mainstream media has a problem with uh, making that distinction. And yeah, as is, as an Asian Canadian, um, it's 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 interesting uh this because yeah as you said it's it's undercovered um you know asian american hate uh as you know even as it's gone up in terms of uh these hate crimes during the pandemic and yeah it's it's because you know asians as a whole generally you know it's a 
the model they're really like labeled as a model minority you know and uh not to mention how that like negatively impacts other minorities but also you know this kind of stuff it really goes to show just how much of uh you know an illusion or a mirage it really is right um it takes like a pandemic that really has really no fault of you know asia in general but even less so you know asian you know asians who just don't even live in asia um and it's like the it's you really like the marginalization it's all there and it's just like it's it's peeking behind that curtain and all of a sudden it's you know you pull back the curtain with this whole pandemic so uh yeah and it's 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 frankly it's frankly a bit scary you know uh you know you go out there and you see these news reports of you know even hate crimes happening here in montreal um like i saw a young asian guy was attacked uh randomly and i'm a young asian guy that very well could have been me uh and you know it's it's scary and it's you know as you said it's 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 very underreported and hell even i don't really typically think about it you know because that's just the way it's uh it's kind of portrayed in general society but you know this kind of incident happens where it's clearly racially motivated and you see everybody's reaction to it. You look at the police on the broadcast. I don't know if, you, if you've seen the video of like the police officer at the press conference and he just like kind of excuses the white guy's behavior, right? Um, he had and a he's bad like, day. Ah, he had a bad day. And it was at the end of the rope. And this is what he did, right? Uh, and yeah, it's scary. It's scary. It, it's just like, uh, you know, it's the, everybody's like the, the general reaction to it. Um, you know, police, media. It's... Uh, it's not it's not great to say the least <laughs> yeah all right um so let's do a hard pivot from that over to a game of guess who lighten the mood a little bit uh this week what we wanted to do or what actually what i decided to do and you kind of went along with it was because of the rangers nine nothing win without their coaches i decided uh let's let's do the rangers uh why don't we so here are our 25 players that we have selected the three goalies igor shesterkin alexander georgiev and former Montreal Canadian Keith Kincaid, uh, some defensemen, Adam Fox, Jacob Truva, Keandre Miller, Ryan Lindgren, Brendan Smith, Libor Hayek, Jack Johnson, who's still in the taxi squad, and Tarmo Runinen, and forwards, Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Alexi Lafreniere, Chris Kreider, Ryan Strom, Pavel Buchnevich, Capo Kako, Philip Hedl, Brendan Lemieux, Julian Gauthier, Colin Blackwell, Kevin Rooney, Brett Howden, and Philip DiGiuseppe. Jack Johnson, by the way, who is out for the season, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. Oh, is he injured? But uh, yeah, he's injured. So uh, oh, that's too bad for my. Yeah, it's too bad for my for for this game and for my fantasy team, which is uh, named after him, and a notoriously bad fantasy name fantasy team name choice. But uh, it's okay. All right. So yeah, there's nothing funny about it going? at all. Anyway, let's nope, go randomizing. So uh, wait before. Okay, so yeah, I'm randomizing too. Um, so remind me, what was our policy? on wrong clues right after okay. the debacle yeah. four weeks ago okay i don't think we've made a policy yet let's agree right now if if anyone gives the wrong answer to a question that we find out after the fact then that person loses the round automatically i think that's a, a fair okay. and appropriate punishment all right okay that's okay. been established officially it's on the record okay it's on the record now all right it is Wonderful. on the record. So, so you have your um, player. I still, do, I believe it was a. Yeah, uh, I have my player. 
and I'm still up by two rounds. Is that right? Uh, oh, I believe that is right, because I believe we tied last time. Uh, let me just yeah. pull okay. up my... Uh, all right. Yeah, so February 21st, exactly a month ago, was our last game, and it was a tie. So I believe you are still up by two games. So uh, I will mute my incoming audio while you tell our audience who your player is. Three, two, one. Jacob Chuba. And I'm back. Okay, and I will be muting my incoming audio in three, two, one. My player is Kevin Rooney. All right, I am coming back now. Okay, I have triple checking that I have the right player. uh, And the stats pulled up, not giving the wrong answer this time. Okay. All right, very nice. Okay, so um, since I believe that I had home advantage last time, so I suppose I will so graciously offer it onto you this time and guess first, if that's what you wish. Oh, okay. Um, okay, sure. I'll accept I'll, your, your gracious and generous uh, offer of guessing yeah. first. I don't think there's really um, a science to whoever goes first. So, so <laughs> no, here we go. So either. Okay. All right. All right. So let's yeah. start with the... Okay. Wait, so who's guessing first? Am I guessing first? Uh, I'm guessing first because that oh, you, know, okay, you have the first. home okay. advantage, right? Like I baseball, see, whoever okay. goes last is the or curling, I guess. Um, right, would <laughs> be the more accurate one. Okay, uh, let's go with: Is your player a forward? My player is not a forward. Very sweet and very nice. All right, that's unfortunate. Love to see it. Great, great start for me. Jesus. Okay. Okay. Next up. Uh, I will go with, so I have 25 players here. Does your player's last name begin with the letter K or earlier? A or earlier? K. Oh, okay. I missed that. I was like, like uh, Kreider. No, no. My player's last name does not begin with the letter K or earlier. Okay. So it's L right. or later. Is Good. your player's number 40 or less? Okay. My player's number is 40 or less. Hmm. All right. Okay. Okay. I've got six players right now. Okay. All right. Um. right. I'm going to go with the last name. All right. Uh. Does your player's last name in the alphabet, is it Rooney or later? Yes, my player's last name in the alphabet is Rooney okay. or later. Man, How if many it's players actually do you have Kevin now? Rooney, that would be, I'd be sad. Um, I have Kevin Rooney and five other players, so that's six. Okay, so we're both at six. All right, hmm. Do I want to take a big risk leap and try to whittle my six down to two? Or, no, that's probably stupid. I'm going to split it three to three. Uh, Is your player's... um, Ooh, actually, wait. I got to take the fact that I have two goalies left into account as well. Um, And I think I am going to try to think of a question that isolates only one of them. So I don't have two goalies left feels like a smart thing to do 
Um, so I'll go with, does your player's first name start with letter... Wait, one second. Wait, that's so weird. Wait, I... Sorry, I... Okay. Okay, I thought I, I ordered alphabetically. Okay, I almost really blew it there because I, I, I tried to order it alphabetically by first name and it went... Uh, like uh, Igor for some reason was underneath the J's and the L's, and it took me a second to notice. So I was about to really blow it right there. Um, but I, okay, so let's not go with that. Oh, here we go. How about this one? Um, no, not that one. Uh, okay, I, I gotta get this right. I've gotta get this right. Does your player's last name start with the letter H or earlier? H or earlier? No. Yeah. It is not H or earlier. All right, so we are now left with later. Jack Johnson, Igor Wait, Shester. We're talking about last Jacob name. Truba. Yeah, last name. Okay. Okay, last name. All right. Yeah, we're good. Yes. Okay. Last name All right. does not start with the letter H or earlier. Good. Next up, I'm gonna. This is the last name round. I'm just gonna keep pounding the last name uh, train until, uh, well, we get to the win. Um, so I'm gonna go. Does your player, uh, wait, a, yeah, okay. Does your player have a last name Strom or later in the alphabet? Last name. No, my player's last name is not Strom or later okay. in the alphabet. It really might be Kevin Rooney. Okay, that's fun. All right, I got Go three ahead. players left. I got, I got Jack Johnson, I got Igor Shesterkin, and I got Jacob Druba. Uh, the odds that it's a goalie, of course, are always very low. Uh, the odds that it's Jack Johnson just on premise seems virtually impossible. So I'm going to go with, it's your player, Jacob Truba. Very well done. Snipe. It is Thank Jacob you. Truba. Very okay. nice. Very good start. And uh, now I've got to recover. I've got a forward, a goalie, and a defenseman. Um, Kevin Rooney, who I've been harping on all round... I have Brendan Smith, and I've got Shesterkin. So, who will I go with? Man, the odd that it's Kevin Rooney, pretty low, I would think. But what the hell? It's Kevin Rooney season. Uh, is your player Kevin Rooney? Yes, my player is Kevin Rooney. Oh, too good. Too good. Why, okay. why would you get my hopes up by being like, the odds that it's Kevin Rooney are pretty low. I thought I had it in the bag right there. Oh well. Wow. Okay. You so must have had a heart uh, when I said Kevin Rooney earlier in an earlier round. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you were like, "Is your player's last name Rooney?" And then I, well, I was like, "Wait, wait, what? Is he getting?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man! If only I had stopped myself right there. What yeah, been the greatest win. Okay. Well, uh, we tied the first round. Uh, I feel pretty good about that one. Uh, let's move on to round two where Ty Say will ask the first question after we, of course, randomize once again. All right. Got my player. Do you have yours? Yeah. I have my player as well. Okay. I shall mute my incoming audio in three, two, one. Brendan Lemieux. And I'm back. Okay. Muting in three, two, one. My player is Ryan Strom. Okay. And I am coming back now. All right. We're good to go. Okay. Um, Ask away. 
So I'm gonna go with birthdays. We got birthdays today. Um, here on uh, this list. Let's split this right down the middle. Very nice. And uh, a good 13-12 split. Was your player born in 1995 or earlier? Yes, my player was born in 1995 or earlier. All right. All these young right. people. Hmm. Adios. Okay, your turn. Uh, wait one second. All all my players' ages disappeared. What's up with that? All right, here. Let me, I just gotta hmm. put them back in. All right, no problem. I've got them right here. Let's go. I'll go with an age question as well. I don't have the birthdays listed, but I have the ages, and I checked to make sure that none of the ages changed uh, from a couple days ago when I made this spreadsheet to now. So we are going to go with is your player. Ooh, there's not such a great split here. If I just go, is your player here? Here, here's what I'll do. Is your player either 23 or younger or 34 years old? <laughs> Very specific. Um, but no, my player is not in those age ranges. Okay, which would imply that your player is somewhere between the ages of 24 and 33, since the Rangers don't have anyone older than 34. Okay, all right. So, next up, hmm, let's go. I haven't touched on the numbers quite yet today. Let me sort by number on this fancy Excel sheet. Uh, whoops. Oh, no. I was accidentally on the wrong spreadsheet. I was on uh, a oh, no. So, uh, let's... Okay. So, got my spreadsheet of old people. Uh, and so my question to you is, does your player's number... Is your player's number 32 or less? Yes, my player's number is 32 or less. Okay. That's a bit unfortunate. It leaves me with seven instead of six. But mm. alas, that's life. All right. Hmm. I'm going to go with the number question as well. Feels like a good time for it. I'm going to go with, is your player's number... Um, hmm, what kind of split do I want to do? How many players do you have left? I have seven. You have seven. All right. Okay. Okay. Not bad. Uh, so I'm going to go with, is your player's number 35 or less? Okay. 35 or less. Let me just verify. Um, hmm. One second. I don't know why this... Data isn't showing up. Okay, 35 or less? No. All no. right. Okay, very nice. I have six players left now. Okay, You're so in a good I'm position. taking a bit of a deficit here. They're taking a bit of a deficit here. Um, okay, so let us start with this one. Um, okay, so I'm going to stick with the numbers. Is Does your player's number 17 or less? Yes, my player's number is 17 or less. Oh, no. Son of a... Okay. Yikes. Why, how many do you have left now? I have, I have four left. Oh, oh, you didn't go for the... Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, because you had seven. All right, okay. Um, Is your player's nationality either Canada or Russia? No. All right, it is not Canada, not or, Russia. Canada or Russia. 
So that rules out Brendan Smith, Alexander Georgiev, and Pavel Buchnevich. And we are down to three players. Sorry, who are your players? Oh, no, that's who I'm getting rid of. Um, don't oh, worry. Okay. Uh, yeah, the three players uh, I have left are Mika Zibanejad. Yeah, the three players I have left are Mika Zibanejad, Brendan Lemieux, and Keith Kincaid. Interesting. Okay. All right. Next up, uh, I have four players. One of them is Kevin Rooney. So I have three players. Um, <laughs> let's think. <laughs> uh, so I have Truba, Panarin, and Strom. Oh, wow. Truba's there too. I didn't even notice. Okay. So really, it's just 50 50 at this point barring extraordinary statistical anomaly. Um, so I'm going to be going with number 16. Is your player Ryan Strom? Yes, my player is Ryan Strom. Wow. Okay. Picked him out of thin air out of the four players. Let's go. All right. Now you got um, to tie it up. Yeah, I really do, don't I? All right. So I have a goalie, Keith Kincaid. Uh, once again, probably a smart idea to rule him out. So that leaves me with Mika Zibanejad and Brendan, Brendan Lemieux. All right, we we did talk about Mika Zibanejad specifically, uh, and how he recently tied a record for most points in a period, and that just makes him a little bit too noteworthy for me to feel comfortable about picking him, even though he is on your fantasy team. So it would be funny if you picked him and he won you this game of guess who. Uh, but I'm gonna hope that doesn't happen because I'm not gonna go with him. Instead, I'm gonna go with uh, the scrub who hosted a podcast with Tony D'Angelo. Is your player Brendan Lemieux? Yikes, my player is, in fact, the scrub who hosted a podcast um, with Tony D'Angelo because it is Brendan Lemieux. Very All sad. right. Nice guess. So it's another tie. Wow. We're just, we're just rolling in the ties today. Very interesting. Uh, okay. All right, here we go. Randomize. Please, roll mm-hmm. me a goalie. That'd be awesome. Uh, you know what? I'm not too happy with these ties anymore, you know? I don't want to... I want to start clawing, <laughs> clawing back, all right? Okay. Yeah, all right. so I might have to take a couple more risks, go out of the box a little a little bit in this game. Uh, you know? He's going all out. Uh, hopefully he doesn't backfire, but I gotta. Do, I feel like I have to do it. All right. Anyway, um, I'm going to mute incoming audio in three, two, one. Got Libor Hayek. And I'm back. All right, I'm muting in two, one, and muted. Got a repeat customer. My player is Jacob Truba. I'm coming back now. I have returned. So, uh, All right, wonderful. It is your turn. To, it uh, is my turn. Off. We're going to go with, is your player a forward? My player is not a forward. Very Just nice. Perfect. That. We love to see it. Terrible. A great start for Terrible. me. Terrible. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna play the numbers game again. Uh, the last name. No, nah, first name today. I'm gonna go first name this game. See if that works out for me. Um. Okay. Does your player's first name come? Okay. Is it Jacob or earlier in the alphabet? My player's first name is Jacob or earlier in the alphabet. Okay. Yikes. That's not good for me. Leaves me with 13 instead of 12. All right. Okay. It's interesting because I'm starting to develop a little bit more of a cohesive strategy than I've had before in terms of not just figuring out like how many players I want left, but like which players 
I want to have left and which ones I don't. I don't know if you're thinking that same that's, way. Perhaps that's certainly, you are. Or... That's, that's certainly more sophisticated than anything I've thought of, but sure. All right. Um, I'm going to go with, is, is your player's nationality United States? My player's nationality is not the United States. Sweet. Very nice and perfect. All right, we're down to five players. Already? Not yeah. Fair. Not a forward got me down to 11, and not USA got me down to five. All right, go uh, on ahead. Yikes. Okay, that's not good. Not fun. Um, There are a lot of Americans on this team. Jeez. Um, okay. Let's, what do I want in terms of splits? I will take it. I'm going to, you know what? I like this last name game. It's nice. It's fun. Um, and I have how many people left? I have 13. So I need this. I need you to give me, uh, you need you to make it six, please. Um, so does your player's last name. Hold up. Let me do some math here. Um, oh, of course. Got to do the is math. It, is it? Uh, no, sorry. First name. Is the first name Brett or Later? Is the first name Brett or Later? Yes, the first the name alphabet. is Brett or Later in the alphabet. Okay. So I must assume that your player is Brett Howden moving forward. Um, okay, here we go. Must. Go ahead. All right. Must. Hmm. Is your player's... I'm going to go with another... Uh, oh, here's a good one. Does your player's number have the digit two in it? Either like, you know, you understand the question, either 20 something yes. or like it could be. I 82. do understand. Okay. And I do understand. And the answer is yes. All right. Very nice. Uh, goodbye. Both goalies, Igor Shesterkin and Alexander Georgiev. And goodbye, Tarma Runinen, which means you have two players left. Oh, no. This is worse than I could have possibly imagined. This is um, exactly the type of game uh, that I will definitely blow and have blown in the past. Yikes. But not this time. Fucking yikes. Okay. Oh, no. This is bad. <laughs> this is bad. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. Is your player... I needed a swing for the fences. Uh, maybe not. Is your player American? Yes, my player is American. Okay, that's this. Is just every turn, it's going badly it for gets you. Worse. I'm at four. Oh, you're at terrible. four. I'm at two. All right. Uh, I could. This could still happen for you. Uh, all that has to happen is like I get this guess wrong, and then you would even if you get yours wrong, uh, then you could still tie me. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Uh, I've got Libor Hayek and Brendan Smith. Uh, two players left. Uh, honestly, even when I had all five players left, I was getting very strong, correct vibes from Libor Hayek. Uh, so I'm going to stick to my guns on that one. Is your player Libor Hayek? Goddamn. It is Libor Hayek. <laughs> very nice. Uh, very, very nice for me. All right. Let's see if you can if you can get wow. it on this one for four. Okay. So it's not Jack Johnson. It's not Jacob Truva. That leaves me with two, really. Chris Kreider or Colin Blackwell. I have not heard of Colin Blackwell. So the answer is probably Colin Blackwell. Um, hmm, let me think. He's also the only seventh round pick, so he's pretty special there. Everybody else is a first round pick. 
Um, mm, but then maybe it's Chris Kreider. Yikes. Ah, this is tough. Watch it be Doc Johnson. It's just going to be Doc Johnson, but it's fine. Uh, I'm going to go with Colin Blackwell. Unfortunately, my player is not Colin Blackwell. You lose. My player was, okay, in fact, it? Jacob Truba. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. It's yep. the only guy who I definitively ruled out. Um, yep. And this, this is my first be set onto the stone time. upon this day. Okay. The NY Rangers right. matchup of guess who is Alex's first victory since September 26th, 2020 of the Dallas Stars. I was on a one, two, three, four, five game, five game winless streak, uh, which included three tie say wins and two ties. But that drought is over. And my record is now, uh, I should probably keep track of that on the top. But in our one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve games of guess who dating all the way back to May 31st of last year, I have one, two, three wins, and you have one, two, three, four wins, and that leaves one, two, three, four, five ties. So I am now only one win away from bringing everything back to a deadlock. You know, maybe I should go with that frisky, risky business there that you did on that last round. That seemed to literally pay off every single time. Um, every single time it worked out favorably. Every question. Uh-huh. Including you know, the guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, because when I had those five players left, I was starting to think it in ways that I haven't really thought of before. Because my five players left were Hayek, Shesterkin, Georgiev, Smith, and Runinen. And I was thinking, all right, I have a feeling it's Hayek. So I, my next question, I framed it so that either I was going to leave it up to Hayek or Brennan Smith which even if I'm wrong about Hayek, I'll have it for sure the next time. Or if the question worked out the other way, I would have left two goalies and the defenseman. Uh, and of course, I want to avoid both goalies, so I would have gone with Runinen. So, you know, really, I feel like I've kind of unlocked a higher level of Guess Who that I hadn't really thought of before. <laughs> okay, he's transcended Guess Who. Uh, he's transcended yeah. level one Guess Who playing. Um, uh, I've leveled up. Wow congratulations um it's and it's shown itself in the result clearly uh sure did. so that's that's unfortunate for me um he's bringing yep, you officially have of, no more hope. in a new age of guess who what's that uh, i said you officially have no hope i have no hope that's right um so i might as well i don't know what i'll do from now on i better reform myself i gotta i gotta dig deep meditate and find my inner guess who evolution and, yeah, uh, you want to rebuild, coming in uh, change the culture. <laughs> All right. That's right. Uh, That's right. This episode is uh, quite lengthy. Thank you very much for listening to it in its entirety, unless you just skip to the end, but I don't know why you would do that. Um, you, uh, we will be back next week with another episode. And at that point, Montreal will have played three games in a row against the Edmonton Oilers. And if they win them all, which is, of course, a very big if, they would actually surpass the Oilers in the standings. And actually, I think even if they go 2-1, and one, they might pass them based on points percentage. Uh, so this is a big week. And, you know, maybe it'll actually help Montreal mentally to play a team that they're chasing instead of a team that's chasing them. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter as well. And you can tell everyone you know that you're